Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We're your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and this week we're studying Ether chapters 12 through 15. Very excited to dive into a study on faith, what it is, when you get it, how you get it, what it's used for, all of that. But before we do, um, we're really excited for the high that we get to share this week that many of you have shared in, hopefully, and that is uh, just a couple of days ago, President Nelson uh, gave his message of hope and healing to the world focused on gratitude, and uh, I was listening in my office when it came on. You were at home, mm-hmm. but... Um, it was powerful and answered a lot of questions that we had, personal questions that we'd had just within our own personal lives and our family lives. And we were, well, I, I guess I can, I'll just speak to my own experience. Um, I was really impressed um, both by what he taught. I, I love the the answer of gratitude to the question of uh, pandemic and the doubts and the fears and the stress that comes with it. Uh, but I think I was even more impressed by what I felt in myself um, as a prophet taught. Um, and so it was a powerful experience for me just in my own office. I think a much needed for for us, for me personally, and just for so many. So I think that's a that's a great high to share. And probably like Zach said, so many of us got to share in that together. And I think something that I'm going to be watching a few times, especially in this season. So it's kind of cool because we just had today, we just had a, an area conference with President Iring, Elder Suarez, Sister Abuerto, um, and then a couple of uh, members of our area presidency. And we've heard that, I mean, this was kind of a theme in last general conference, but one of the benefits or blessings that has come through this trial is we're starting to realize um there are other ways to minister and to spread the gospel. And I think you see the brethren leading out on that. This message from President Nelson, this area conference that we otherwise wouldn't be able to have without technology. But here we are in our own home being taught by prophets and apostles specific to our area and what the feelings are for people in, in this part of the world. And so it's it's kind of cool to think that with everything negative going on in the world, that uh, we are finding new ways to reach out and to minister to each other and, and receive light and truth from others. And I just read an article on kind of what inspired President Nelson to share that message. We'll put links to both of these. Like we said, you guys have probably listened to it already, but if not, it's an extra um, push in the direction to go watch it and then read this article about what inspired President Nelson to give offer that prayer for the world and to give this message which was really cool too so anyway that's a great high for especially for this week of thanksgiving hope you guys have a great thanksgiving um probably not going to look the way that you had planned or the way that we had planned maybe last year but we hope that you can find find joy in wherever you are we wish you a happy happy holiday yeah well i want to start with a story this week that i read just this week um Over 200 years ago, uh, John Wesley, who, if you recognize the name, uh, he was one of the founding thinkers behind Methodism, which if you know your church history, you know that that was the branch of Christianity that Joseph Smith's family felt most inclined towards, partly because Methodism emphasized that there was something we needed to do 
um, to work out our salvation. It was a very prominent prevailing theory of the day that uh, God saved you whether you liked it or not, so to speak. And Methodism was kind of the counter movement to that to say, no, there is something that is required of man in order to accept that gift of salvation. And so John Wesley was one of those foundational thinkers. Um, he's on a on a ship uh, bound for America. Um, I think he's heading there to to undertake a mission to the Native Americans. And um, he's on this boat with uh, fellow English men and women. But he's also uh, also on the boat is a group of German Christians called Moravians. Um, and they're on this boat together, interacting, and uh, I'll just read his own words. This is what he says. I had long before observed the great seriousness of their, meaning the Germans, behavior. Of their humility, they had given continual proof by performing those servile officers' offices for the other passengers, which none of the English would undertake, for which they desired and would receive no pay, saying, It was good for their proud hearts, and their loving Savior had done more for them. And every day had given them occasion of showing a meekness which no injury could move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away, but no complaint was found in their mouth. There was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear as well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. In the midst of the psalm, he's talking about in the middle of a, of a meeting, wherewith the services began, the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. From them, I went to their crying, trembling neighbors and pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that feareth God and him that feareth him not. At twelve, the wind fell. And then he just concludes and says, this was the most glorious day which I have hitherto seen. I found that story as I was studying or comparing two references this week. One in Ether chapter 12, which I'll read just a second. But the other one back in Mormon chapter 5. Um, this is right in the middle of Mormon describing what's happening to his people um, as they kind of descend into chaos. And he just says this. This is Mormon 5 verse 18. He says, Now behold, they are led about by Satan, even as chaff is driven before the wind, or as a vessel is tossed about upon the waves, without sail or anchor, or without anything wherewith to steer her. And even as she is, so are they. And that phrase, without sail or anchor, uh, came to mind as I read Ether 12 this week. This is one of my favorite verses. Verse 4. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world. Yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. As we 
studied this week and talked with each other um, about this particular block of scripture, that verse stood out because of the waves and the winds that are blowing at all of us. Well, and the waves and the winds that we've been talking about in mm. the past few episodes as we studied the brother of Jared and their journey. And so it's um, a great reference for hope. There is a way to find uh, some security, some safety, if not a way to stop the waves and the winds that blow against us, a way to find an anchor that holds us sure and steadfast in the middle of that storm. And at least in this particular reference, Moroni says that that anchor comes because of faith in God. And so what we're going to do in this episode is study faith in God by asking ourselves a couple of questions as we study and inviting you to ask the same kinds of questions. We're just going to ask the traditional who, what, when, where, why, and how questions. And as we were prepping this, we thought this is kind of hard to do in the general. It's hard to come up with general answers to a question of, for example, when should we have faith? So these questions are probably more powerful to ask individually and personally, but we're going to give a stab at it anyway. Yeah, I think this is, well, it was fun for us to study generally, but it really was so much easier as I thought of how can I do this very personally. So I think that this study, what we're going to talk about obviously is going to be fun for us because we get to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, how. Um, I don't know if anyone else felt really proud in like fifth grade of how fast they could say that. I swear I remember... (laughs) maybe timing myself with my friends. That took one second. That took two seconds. I I know. I would. And I did. But um, (laughs) anyway, so the first question I think that is pretty much already answered, but one that is an important one. And actually, we get the answer here at the end, which probably, honestly, one of my favorite verses. So we'll start with who. And we kind of thought this question could be answered in a couple ways. Who should have faith or who should we have faith in? And we're going to answer, obviously, who should have faith? We should have faith. Anyone reading it should have faith. Anyone listening should have faith. But more importantly, I think, who should we have faith in or in whom should we place our trust and in whom should we look to? And I love the way that Moroni answers this question in verse 41. And now I would commend you to seek this Jesus, of whom the prophets and apostles have written, that the grace of God the Father and also the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of them, may be and abide in you forever. You can't help but like that mm-hmm. phrase, right? Just seek this Jesus. And then a little bit earlier on, Moroni says um, in verse 18, And neither at any time hath any wrought miracles until after their faith, Wherefore, they first believed in the Son of God. And let's first believe in him. I think the message that we have been hearing is from our prophet is that letting God prevail. And we've talked about that in this podcast in the last few weeks as we've kind of tried to take that to heart, I think, personally. But it was mentioned again today in that area conference that we had from Elder Suarez quoting President Nelson again on what it really means to let God prevail in our lives. And I think these are ways to do it. Seek this Jesus and first believe in the Son of God. And so we went back to President Nelson's talk just to kind of look at how he defined that. And he used the words, um, make 
him the most important influence in your life and the most powerful influence in your life. And I think that's a great way to seek him first and to let him prevail is allowing him to be that most important or most powerful influence in your life. So this is from President Nelson. He says, are you willing to let God prevail in your life? Are you willing to let God be the most important influence in your life? Will you allow his words, his commandments, and his covenants to influence what you do each day? Will you allow his voice to take priority over any other? Are you willing to let whatever he needs you to do take precedence over every other ambition? Are you willing to have your will swallowed up in his? And again, I think that's a great way to keep ourselves focused on who to place our trust in and who to have faith in and who to seek. Well, I think that's the beginning of the answer to the question of what exactly faith is. So if the who of faith is uh, our Savior Jesus Christ or our Heavenly Father, which I think is important to identify because we very quickly in the church talk a lot about faith. Well, we need to have more faith. We need to have more faith. Um, But you notice that the first principle of the gospel is not faith. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the beginning of the answer of what faith is, because faith at its core is confidence in God. It's trust in God. The famous verse in chapter 12, of course, is Moroni's definition of faith, where he says, faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. However, part of that definition is him responding to what he states in verse 5. He's talking about the prophet Ether, And the prophet Ether, he says, prophesied great and marvelous things unto the people, which they did not believe because they saw them not. And so Moroni emphasizes, no, faith does not require seeing. In fact, faith might be inhibited by seeing. Faith, rather, is things that you hope for, that you believe in, that you don't see. A great cross-reference for that is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Moroni and Paul had a very similar understanding of faith. Paul writes it this way. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, one thing I love about that verse is the word that's translated as faith, the Greek word is pistis, which means literally a confidence or a trust. It is the same root of a word you would use if you were entering a contract with someone and you wanted to assure them that you were good for your end of the contract, you would give them a down payment or you would give them this pistis, this evidence that you can be trusted. And so when, when the writer of Hebrews says, faith is things which are hoped for, and the evidence, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it's not just a blind hoping or a blind believing. It's confidence based on spiritual evidence. There is a substance to faith. It's more than just wishing something is true. And so who uh, is the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. What is faith? It's trust and confidence in him. And I love the illustration of that in the story of the brother of Jared. So if you can forgive me for going back a couple of chapters. Um, I love the third question. We talked about this two episodes ago. That the brother of Jared asked the Lord, uh, how are we going to get light in our ships? 
or that's the first question he asks, is the third one that the Lord answers to him. And you know the story. The Lord, instead of giving him a specific direction, says, what will you have me do? And I always loved that story because I thought what it taught was that we needed to be the solution to our own problems. That there are some times when God just says, I want you to figure this out on your own and bring your answer to me and then I'll tell you if it's right. Now, that could be still true and that could be a powerful principle to pull from that story. But I don't think it's the one the brother of Jared learned. In chapter 3, the brother of Jared does not come out of the other end of that experience saying, I now know that I can do great things. I have an increased sense of confidence in myself, or I'm more independent. Rather, he says in chapter 3, verse 4, I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore, touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger, and prepare them that they may shine forth in darkness. And then one verse later, Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. The brother of Jared is commended later on for that faith. The Lord says in verse 15, That never has a man believed in me as thou hast. In other words, this story isn't about the brother of Jared improving his faith or confidence in himself. It's about him growing in faith or confidence towards the Lord. So faith is trust or confidence in the Lord and his ability to do great things for us and for those that we love and care for. Well, and I love the way that this is illustrated as Moroni teaches and uses examples of people of faith from the scriptures that he sees. And that that's what they're doing. That's what we get to think about as we read these stories and as we test and try and experience faith on our own. Well, and if I can squeeze in another answer to another question, you brought this up, uh, the question of when is it appropriate to have faith? Of course, the answer is always. But Moroni, interestingly, in these experiences he chooses, highlights people who have faith during trials or adversity. You think of Moses going up to get the Ten Commandments. That's in the middle of uh, the children of Israel apostatizing from the truth. Um, you have Alma and Amulek uh, and being caught, cast into prison and the prison tumbling to the earth. Again, faith in the moment of weakness or trial. And Moroni sums this up in another famous verse in 27 that we love. I will show unto men their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they will humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. And so at least one answer to the question of when we should have faith is when we are feeling weak or when we are feeling uh, like we're in difficulties or trials, that's a great time to reach out in confidence and trust to what God can do. Well, and if we can use, I guess, these, like I brought up, these experiences that he, that Moroni uses as examples of, um, he uses Nephi and Lehi as they're out preaching to the Lamanites. He uses Alma and Amulek in prison. He uses Moses, a prophet in the desert. Um, when is exactly like you said. And where, I think, are kind of answered together. When and where is everywhere and always, if we can. But I love that idea of especially when we need it, because those are the examples that he gives here in this chapter, too. 
Well, the next question that I found at least an answer to is the question of why. Why should we have faith in the Lord? Why should we trust this Jesus or seek this Jesus? And I think Moroni provides two answers that kind of go together. First of all, um, he repeats this idea over and over, starting in verse 12. If there be no faith among the children of men, God can do no miracle among them. And then he lists a couple of miracles that God does because people trusted him to do miracles. He says in verse 15, It was the faith of Ammon and his brethren which wrought so great a miracle among the Lamanites. Now remember, it's God that does the miracle, but it's their confidence and their trust in him and letting him prevail that allows God to do something incredible. In verse 16, Even all they who wrought miracles wrought them by faith even those who were before Christ and also those that were after. Verse 18, neither at any time hath any wrought miracles until after their faith, wherefore they first believed in the Son of God. And so I think the first answer to why we should have faith in God, why we should trust him and maybe turn our lives over more to him is because he is capable of doing the miraculous. I can't remember if we gave this definition last week or week before of miracles, but one that I love is President Oaks just says that a miracle is a beneficial act brought about by divine means that mortals in and of themselves cannot replicate. It means God does something good for us that we can't do for ourselves. That's a miracle. And that's a reason to trust him because he can do things that we can't do. Sometimes he does them in the very moment we need them, as in these experiences. Sometimes, however, he doesn't. And when he doesn't provide the miracle, I think he does this. Verse 17, it was by faith that the three disciples obtained a promise that they should not taste of death. Verse 21, after the brother of Jared had been beheld the finger of the Lord because of the promise which the brother of Jared had obtained by faith, the Lord could not withhold anything out of his sight. And then verse 22, it is by faith that my fathers have obtained the promise that these things should come unto their brethren, the Gentiles. In other words, I think God, I know that God can perform miracles for us. But I also know, and so do you, that sometimes he doesn't in that very moment. And when he doesn't, I think he provides promises. Why should we trust him? Because God will either, either perform a miracle or he will provide us with promises that can put us at ease or can still our, our hearts or our, our worries or our stresses um, in the moment that we're feeling them. Well, I love that. And I think for me, as I studied, the reason for why, I mean, there's lots of them, but a couple of the things that stood out to me, um, I think I'll start in verse 8 of chapter 12. He says that because of faith of men, he has shown himself unto the world and glorified the name of father and prepared a way that thereby others might be partakers of the heavenly gift. And I love the idea of thinking of that heavenly gift that awaits us as, as we seek after God. And as we seek Jesus, it's a heavenly gift that maybe we don't even really understand, but that we can hope for that he's going to help us and that he's going to guide us and direct us. And in verse 11, this reference, he says, but in the gift of his son hath God prepared a more excellent way, and it is by faith that it has been fulfilled. I think why is sometimes the most important question we can ask ourselves. Why am I even 
trying to do all of these things? Why am I even trying to seek after Jesus? Or why am I even reading my scriptures today? Or maybe we're asking ourselves, why am I doing all these things that the prophet's asking me to do? Or why do I believe? There's a lot of, I think, why is the root of everything that um, can help us stay strong. So this one's important. And for me, um, I love these ideas, just these ones specifically, that there is more than we can even possibly imagine that we can achieve through our faith when we believe in in Jesus and when we seek him and that he's prepared that excellent way and these heavenly gifts for us when we when we seek after him. And then of course the final question which probably you're going to have a lot more fun doing in your own study is how can we do this because I think all of the answers are going to be different for all of us as we decide how am I going to make this practical in my life? Because that's always the the burning question that we have. Um, and this verse we've already read a little bit, but I think that it kind of provides us a little bit of, I hate to say there's steps because there's not really steps, but I like the way this flows. And that is chap- verse 4 in chapter 12. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God, there we go starting out again with the who, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. Um, now, I know that Belief brings about hope, and hopefully we can get that anchor and that we can continue to do good works. But this verse makes it sound a little bit more smooth than maybe we're going to have. It's going to be a journey. It always is. But I think that as we start the way that they say to in this verse, that Moroni says to, believeth in God, seek Jesus, that we can begin to hope and things will start to flow for us, however rocky that we get there. Well, as we've said, your study, your personal study, will be much more powerful than this. But we know that so many of you, like us, um, are feeling the winds, the waves, and, and the weariness that comes from everything that's going on in the world. Um, however, we're also very confident that all things are in God's control, in His command, that He is in charge. And that us trusting him means that we can find peace even when things are crazy. Uh, An anchor doesn't work without something solid to attach it to. And so we may have faith, but unless it's attached to a God who is filled with power and can do miracles, it won't work. Um, I heard a story a little while ago that I want to end with. Um, I heard this story uh, many, many second hands. So uh, I don't have a resource or a reference for it. But I love what it teaches. Uh, It comes from President Packer. He describes once going to the the church offices downtown Salt Lake um, as he was working together with the Quorum of the Twelve before he was called um, to be an apostle. And on this particular day, he's walking by the Salt Lake Temple, and there is all of this commotion out front of the temple. Uh, There's police cars and ambulances and fire trucks. And it turns out that someone that morning had put a bomb at the front of the Salt Lake, the doors of the Salt Lake Temple and had blown the doors in, blown them off. Um, 
President Packer goes past all of that and into the church offices and has meetings and consultations and uh, does his work for the day. And then as he's leaving, the scene has quieted. No one's there anymore. It's in the evening. Um, But he remarks that he had forgotten that it had even happened. And he muses that, it's interesting, that in all of his meetings that day with senior leaders of the church, not once did this particular issue come up because of their confidence and their faith. Um, Again, this quote comes without reference, but he says, uh, their confidence and their faith allowed them to stand steady even though the wind is blowing. And if someone breaks a window or a door, I think we can afford another one. I love that sense that the senior leaders of the church, those women and men who are inspired and are rock solid in their faith, trust that God has things in control and are not filled with worry. Um, I want to be able to emulate them, at least in some small degree. As you study this week, seek for answers to your own questions about faith and then act on them and see if you can strengthen your anchor or attach it more firmly to the rock of salvation and uh, be able to stand a little bit more strong and steadfast in the winds and the waves that are coming. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We, uh, again, hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and we will see you next week.